0: Father, it is the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is wisdom in human flesh. It is his wisdom that we need to hear tonight, and thank you that as Christians, he lives within us by his spirit, and so you give us what we need to be wise. Help us to listen in that light, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now the book of Proverbs describes two ways of life. It describes the way of wisdom, which leads to life, eternal life, and the way of folly, which leads to death, eternal death. The wise person follows the way of wisdom. The foolish person follows the way of folly. And the writer of Proverbs wants to persuade us that the way of wisdom is not only right, And this is exactly what Johnny said at the beginning tonight. But the way of wisdom is the way of true purpose. It is the way of true joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. Now, not in eternity, but now as we live. Not just in eternity, but now as we live. Now the way of wisdom, the wise life, can only be lived truly lived and embraced through faith in Jesus Christ. That is because Jesus is the epitome of wisdom. God's son is God's wisdom. Jesus' life is the wise life. When you turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, his spirit comes to dwell in you, and that spirit gives you, amongst other things, wisdom. That spirit, the spirit of Christ, who is God's wisdom enables you to live the wise life. That's who a Christian is, someone whose sins have been forgiven, whose eternal life is assured, in whom the spirit of the risen Jesus lives, transforming your inner being, granting you supernatural resources, enabling you to live. And part of that enablement, part of that way of living with Christ living in you, and remember uh, who Jesus is, he is God's wisdom, and if God's wisdom in the person of Christ by the Spirit lives in you, then you can live wisely. Knowing Jesus, the true wisdom, helps us walk in wisdom daily. And I, I added my notes here to remind us of chapter 1, verse 7. Johnny's already reminded us of that, but I think probably it would do well to be reminded of again. These uh, service, sermons on Proverbs, very easy for us to hear them as kind of legalistic moralism. It's wisdom that comes out from within us through the spirit of Christ. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's simply the writer's way of saying that knowing Christ is the way to the wise life. Now, the Christian life is not easy. Hands up who thinks it is. I can't see your hands going up in your homes, but I'm sure not many are. There is a fundamental change that takes place in your inner being when you become a Christian. We have everything we need. We're promised that in the Bible for life and godliness. But it's not easy. And it's not easy because the Christian is prone to go back to their former life. The Christian is tempted to... Uh, to, 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 can look to or to feel to, uh, to a more what seems to be by appearances or by emotions or by feelings often to be a, a more attractive way of life, not the wise life. And so a good deal of the book of Proverbs is framed in that realistic, uh, practical way in terms of a father giving wise instructions to a son. Now, it's almost, well, it is because God knows that the Christian life isn't easy. The father is, I think, the wise older believer. The son is a younger believer. The son is a Christian. The father is instructing the son as a believer. Listen just to some of the rhetoric as we get into this. This is back in chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, o sons of father's instruction. Be attentive that you may gain insight. Chapter 4, verse 20, my son, be attentive to my words. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. And that rhetoric continues here in chapter 6, verse 1, my son. Verse 20, next week, my son. Now, as Christians, where do we put ourselves? First, first and foremost, I think, in the position of the Son, the person listening to this wisdom. First and foremost, we need to hear the Father's instruction. And only then, second, we might think about passing on this wisdom to younger, less mature Christians in the persona of the Father. So we are the son, listening to what wisdom looks like. And remember, as I said at the beginning, that the spirit of Jesus, God's wisdom, lives within you, enabling you to do this. Now, if you're listening and you're not a Christian, as a number of you uh, are in that position, I think the wisdom books like Proverbs are very, very appealing because when you see what or how God wants the Christian to live and the the supernatural resources God gives us to so live, the wise life is not only a life that brings us joy individually and purpose, the wise life is a life that blesses others, benefits others. The wise life is a life that is good for society. It's good for our culture, our communities, our neighborhoods, and it glorifies God. Now, that's our way in tonight. Um, Three points, let me give them to you at uh, the start. I don't think I've ever had three points quite like this before. So here we go. Number one, get out of an ill thought through financial decision. That's what I think it says. Get out of an ill thought through financial decision. That's verses one to five. Point two, look to the ant and not to the way of the sluggard. That's verses six to 11. And then thirdly, don't be like the worthless, wicked person. Verses 12 to 19. Now that might sound like an unusual collection of points, but I do think that's what the passage is teaching. And the more I have studied it this week, the more I've become convinced and convicted by the logic and the really practical applied wisdom it contains. Added to the fact that as so often happens, it's just a very relevant Bible passage for the times in which we are living. First point, get out of an ill thought through financial decision. Now, that's verses 1 to 5. Let's read them again, then I'll explain them. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbour, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you have snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. I mean, it's pretty urgent stuff to get out of this. Now, the situation being referred to here is specific. The neighbor in verse 1a is the person making loan. Now the son, that's you if you like in the proverb, knows the neighbour. The stranger, verse 1b, is the person taking the loan. The son, you if you like, doesn't know the stranger. Now loans, financial loans then and now, are not given unless there is security on the loan something to guarantee the loan. The stranger, the person taking the loan, is unable to put up sufficient security themselves in order to get the loan. And so the son, you, provides security to his neighbor, to the person they know, so that the loan can be made. Now, I hope you've got that. Why would the son do that? Why would you do that? For one of two reasons. One, to help your neighbour, your friend, who presumably will make money from the loan when it is repaid with interest. Perhaps you will receive some of that financial benefit. That's one reason you might do this. Second, because you receive a fee from the stranger for putting up security so they are able to get the loan. Now, these, I think, are the two reasons the writer, speaking through the Father's instruction, likely has in mind. And given the context of the later verses, I'd lean towards the second of these reasons. You would put up security... In a situation like this, because you are going to receive some financial benefit, as one writer puts it, and this writer has lived in the world of Proverbs for a long time and studied this book, he says this, a quick buck at no cost with no work. A quick buck at no cost with no work. Except when it all goes wrong. Now what could go wrong? Well, the person taking out the loan might not be able to repay the loan. If they don't have enough security to take out the loan in the first place, then it's very likely they're not in a financially strong enough position to make the repayments. The person taking the loan defaults. Then what happens? Well, your neighbor, your friend, calls in the security. And who is put up the security you have. Now there's a tense conversation in a coffee shop that most likely ends with letters being exchanged by lawyers, more costs and a broken friendship. Now there's plenty else that could go uh, wrong and you can uh, think about that. Now That's the context here. That's the situation. What does the father say to the son? Father says this. He says, look, son, look, if you have done this, if you have put up security for your neighbor and given your pledge for a stranger, if you said you'll do this, or if you've signed off on this. When verse 2 talks about being snared or caught in the words of your mouth, that's not saying in the times in which this was written that there's no binding agreement. This may well mean that there is a binding agreement. In other words, whether you're thinking about it, whether you've made a verbal agreement, whether you've made a written binding agreement, whether you're at the start, the middle, the end of the period of the loan, then get out of it. The tone of the Father is strong and urgent. Just look with me at the text. Then do this, my son, and save yourself. That's pretty strong. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. You put yourself in a risky, a vulnerable position with respect to your neighbor, who you may well know or your friend. Go, hasten, be quick about it, and plead urgently. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelid. Don't sleep on it. Don't wait till the morning. Do it now. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the flower, like a gazelle, flee, like a bird, fly. Now, it's pretty strong. But are they not wise words? Don't get into something like this. And if you have, then do all you can to get out of it. Maybe it's too late. Maybe it is. Try though. The father exhorts the son to plead urgently. That is an exhortation to humility and boldness at the same time. Now, what's the point being made? Let's try and discern the principle. The principle is the heading of the point that I gave. Get out of an ill-thought-through financial decision. Better still, don't get into it in the first place. What is an ill thought through financial decision? It is a quick buck at no cost with no work. A quick buck at no cost with no work. Or a financial decision where you have no control of the outcome. A financial decision which is short-sighted for short-term gain or entering into a financial decision without thinking through the consequences. It may be that the son is naive, but probably greed is a motivation, a decision motivated by greed, a financial decision motivated by greed is always an ill thought through financial decision. Now here's another danger in the book of Proverbs. I could spend an hour carefully setting out by taking you to different parts in Proverbs and elsewhere in Scripture what this is not saying. For example, it's not saying that we shouldn't be generous. Plenty Proverbs say we should. It's not saying loans are wrong. It's saying loans like this are wrong. It's not saying that making money is wrong. In a moment, The ant will be commended as an example of a creature that works hard to store up for the future. It's not saying that a wise investment strategy is wrong. Many of us have pension schemes and that's how they're funded. What's wrong is the kind of speculative investment that crosses a line, decisions that are ill thought through, impulsive, not measured, risky, not prudent, foolish decisions, not wise. Now let's look in the mirror for a moment. Might this be us? Might this be you? Might this be me? Heed the Father's wisdom. Get out of an ill thought through financial decision. Better still, don't get into it. Get out of it if you can. That takes boldness and real humility. If you can't get out of it, or if you're thinking about something like this in your past that's gone wrong, something you regret, don't let it destroy you. Talk to someone in the church family you can trust. Last week, we were on the whole realm of sexuality. I don't think anyone would say it were inappropriate to say talk to somebody in the church family you can trust when it comes to that. And what about when it comes to monetary issues? Decisions we have made that we regret or want to get out of. Talk to somebody in the church family you can trust. Surely that is encompassed by speaking the truth in love. Surely being proactive with others, responding to concerns they raise, is to help one another when we get into difficulties. And let the Lord Jesus, whose Spirit lives in you, reassure you of your forgiveness, of his love for you, and your eternal security in him. Of course, this particular uh, proverb is... Is relevant all the time, but perhaps very relevant to the circumstances we live in at the moment with the uncertainty in our finances, all of us. I was listening to a webinar, I think is the word, about giving. And uh, this webinar was suggesting that there might be a period of renewed. Generosity from the Christian world to give to gospel work as people come to terms with what they spend their money on. Some people will have to give more because others will not be able to give because they will lose their jobs. But what would be really foolish, and here is the very practical nature of God's wisdom is entering into some kind of transaction like this at a time like this. How striking and how relevant God's wisdom is. Now point number two, look to the ant and not to the way of the sluggard. That's verses 6 to 11. Now, I'm persuaded that the son is still in view, listening to the father's wise instruction, and there's a logic that connects point one verses one to five and point two verses six to 11. And that is this, the kind of ill thought through financial decision verses one to five is what a lazy sluggard might make. You know, a quick buck, no work, no cost. The sluggard, verse six, is a character that features through the book of Proverbs. There are 14 references to the sluggard. Let's read verses 6 to 11 again so we can get the tenor of these verses. Just off the back of what the father has said, verses 1 to 5. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Look at the ant. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, that's the ant, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, another hour in bed. Poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now the sluggard is lazy, doesn't want to work, is idle. The sluggard likes to sleep in to lie in. This way of life leads, verse 11, to poverty. That's what the proverb says. A consistent message through Proverbs, laziness produces poverty, work produces income and property. Now again, let's be careful not to mishear this. The Bible does not teach that poverty is only caused by laziness. Job, the apostle Paul, were poor but not lazy. Or sayings like Proverbs 28:11: a rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. Nor does laziness always lead to poverty. But caveats and qualifications aside, the principle is wise instruction. Don't be lazy like the sluggard. Instead, look to the ant for your inspiration. What can we learn from the ant? Well, the ant is a self-motivated worker. In our sermon preparation meeting this week, I suggested the ant works away like a beaver. Everyone thought that was quite amusing and decided it wasn't a good way of explaining this, which makes me think, why am I doing that now? The ant is a self-motivated worker. No one tells the ant to graft. The ant plans appropriately for the future, plans wisely, makes good decisions. In short, the ant beavers away. She really does. Works hard. You know, see, it's a long way away, isn't it, from verses 1 to 5. The quick buck, no cost, no work. Speculative, risky, foolhardy. And the straight line lesson from the aunt is Christian, don't be lazy, work hard. It's a simple lesson it's wise instruction a church should be full of ants working away building for God's kingdom making good the time now there are lots of reasons that thinking about a church full of ants is not a good idea but the picture here is of industry of work of grafting of storing up of building resources eternal resources now let's look in the mirror again are there some of us like the sluggard who needs to look to the ant for inspiration? It would be foolish for our to caricature the sluggard as a comic book character. Now, what is this not saying? It's not saying we shouldn't rest or sleep or have a lie in sometimes. Even the ant needs to rest. Some of us listening will need to look to the ant for inspiration. Some of us will need to take more time to rest, but none of us will look to the sluggard for inspiration. And let's none of us think we've got the perfect balance right between work and rest. Let's help and pray for one another in the church family to get it right. Three times over the last 24 hours, people have texted or contacted me Along the lines of trying to prayerfully help me to get it right. That's exactly what a church family should do. That is biblical wisdom. Surely that is speaking the truth in love. It's not unspiritual. Here it is in the Bible. This week I was reading John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. I want to read a bit to to you. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. Here we go. They all went on till they came to the foot of a hill, the bottom of which was a spring. There was also in the same place two other ways beside that, which came straight from the gate. One turned to the left hand and the other to the right at the bottom of the hill. But the narrow way led right up the hill. And the name of the going up the side of the hill is called difficulty. Christian, that's the main character, and I went to the spring and he drank thereof to refresh himself and then began to go up the hill of difficulty, saying, This hill, though high, I covet to ascend. The difficulty will not me offend, for I perceive the way to life lies there. Come, pluck my heart. Let's neither faint nor fear. Better, though difficult, the right way to go than wrong, though easy, where the end is woe. The other two also came to the foot of the hill, but when they saw that the hill was steep and high and that there was two other ways to go, and supposing also that these two ways might meet again with that up which Christian went on the other side of the hill, therefore they were resolved to go in one of these two ways. The name of one of them was danger and the name of the other way was destruction. I looked then, the writer goes after Christian to see him go up the hill. Where I proceed, he fell from running to going, And from going to clambering upon his hands and his knees because the hill was so steep and he was so tired about midway to the top of the hill was a pleasant arbor of trees made by the lord of the hill for the refreshing of weary travelers thither therefore christian got where also he sat down to rest and he pulled his roll out of his bosom and read therein to his comfort he also now began afresh to take a review of the coat and garment that was given to him as he stood by the cross. Thus, pleasing himself for a while, he at last fell into a slumber and thence into a fast sleep, which detained him in that place until it was almost night. And in his sleep, his roll fell out of his hand. As he was sleeping, there came one to him and awakened him, saying, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. With that, Christian suddenly started up and sped him on his way and went apace till he came to the top of the hill. Now, that's a great quotation. Might encourage you to read Pilgrim's Progress. And the point of it is this We rest, we enjoy rest in order to get up from rest and press on up the hill. Christian could not have gone a step further had he not rested. But the point is, he rested and enjoyed the rest in what God had given him in this green arbor of trees in order to get up from rest and oppress press on up the hill. The spur from God's word comes when our need for rest becomes spiritual slumber and inactivity. But if we read on into the next chapter of Pilgrim's Progress, Christian needs to learn that he needs to go back to the arbor again for rest. Now, again, some really solid, sensible, practical uh, wisdom. Maybe there are people here who need to rest a while in the arbor of trees. Maybe there are people who need to get up from rest and crack on up the hill that is a Christian life. Maybe some of us need the warning. Come on, look to the ants, you sluggard, and crack on. There's plenty to do. There's plenty to do for the work of the kingdom. The final word of instruction to the Son is a little scary. Don't be like the worthless, wicked uh, person. It's a strong warning, because the Son, because we need the warning We'd be foolish to say that the tendencies in verses 12 to 19, the character traits don't lurk within us as Christians and sometimes rise up to the surface. Resist the temptation to be like this, to speak or to act like this. And as we all look in the mirror, if this is what we see, then like verse 5, run like a gazelle from the danger, fly like a bird to escape, or more practically, talk to someone in your small group someone you trust in the church family, your husband or wife, if you're married, they will in all probability see it in you clearer than you see it yourself. You know, if you confide in another Christian that you are struggling with sort of malice or resentment or envy or whatever it is, and they kind of go silent on you, it's probably because they see it in you and they've heard it from you. Wouldn't be speaking the truth in love if they said they hadn't. They see it, and what do they do? They help you. They help you talk to Jesus, to come to Jesus with a repentant heart. And if a church family is truly loving to one another, we will say these things to one another, speaking the truth in love, warning, protecting, drawing people back from what? Verse 12, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, lies, and half-truths winks, probably better translated squints, with his eyes, a sneering look. It's like somebody mentions a name and you just go, just your look gives it away, and it's an innuendo. Someone who signals with their feet or points with their finger, whose perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord, sowing unity. There's that wonderful parable, sowing the seed that is the gospel. But there's another image here, it's sowing discord, spreading discord, disharmony, little comments, little quips, speech figures all the way through this. There's a warning in verse 15 of God's judgment. And 16, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, arrogant pride, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among uh, brothers. Now, we'd be foolish to think this kind of stuff never goes on in churches, it is a helpful warning. It is a necessary warning. The best way for us to consider these verses is for each of us to look in the mirror. So in conclusion, the father's wise instructions to the son. Get out of an ill-thought-through financial decision. Look to the ant and not to the way of the sluggard. Don't be like the worthless, wicked person. Good, practical wisdom. It is a good way to live. It is a good way to live that way for the sake of others. It is a good way when others like that live for your sake. Living like this is the way of life that brings true purpose, joy, and fulfillment. So I have studied this this week. As I preach it now, it puts a spur in my heart, which I trust is the Holy Spirit in my heart, saying, come on, Christian. Let's set off again on that hill, that narrow road of difficulty. And do this kind of stuff because it's wise, it's good, and it's sensible. And such a life can only be lived through faith in Jesus and in the power of his spirit that dwells within believers, daily dependence on Jesus and his grace. That's a good way to live, the way of life, the way to eternal life. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And only fools despise that. And God's instruction. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the wisdom of Proverbs, really good practical stuff for life, not least in a local church. Lord, we pray that if we're not yet Christians, we would hear what the Bible teaches about these practical things as really attractive wisdom. What a good way to live, what a good way for a society to be. And for those of us who are Christians, help us to heed the Father's instruction and to put right in the power of the Spirit what is wrong, and press on up that hill, that narrow path, that is the right path and leads to glory. For Jesus' sake. Amen.